0: Welcome to Alley All Ears, a podcast from Houston's Alley Theater. Alley All Ears features interviews with directors and designers, playwright
1: Q&As, sneak peeks, behind-the-scenes information, and more. Welcome to Alley All Ears. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. From our
0: home to yours. Cool.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Rob Melrose, and I'm the artistic director of the Alley Theater. And uh, right now, I'm also the director of the world premiere production of Born With Teeth by Liz Duffy Adams. And I'm here in the studio with Liz Duffy Adams. Hi. Hello. And our set designer, Michael Loker. Hello. And um, director of design at the Alley Theater. And he's designing designing seven out of nine plays this season. Oh my God. Yes, it's amazing. Nearly done. (laughs) Nearly done. He's done such a great job. And, um, you know, he's in tech for Dead Man's Cell Phone um, up in the Hubbard. And downstairs are loading in Born With Teeth as as we speak. And it's looking great. Yeah. So um, what I wanted to do um, kind of, you know, we'll talk about a lot of things. But kind of the overriding theme is the three of us have worked together decades, decades. And... Um, not only happily and fruitfully, but also made some pretty cool things, and really riffed off of each other. And one of the things I kind of want to kind of get um, get to the bottom of is what makes this such a great collaboration. What you know, because we we have different different disciplines, right? Directing, playwriting set design, but we've got some shared values and some shared aesthetics, and I think that's been something that's um, helped us. But what I thought would be great to start with is just our our artistic journeys, you know? So starting with Liz, then Michael, and I'll do a short version of mine because a lot of people listening to this will have heard mine many times. But um, Liz, let's start with you. What what got you in the theater in the first place and then got you into playwriting?
0: Right, well, uh, I started as a, as an actor. Because, uh, like so many people, I I got excited about acting as a as a teenager. I I've have told this story before, but uh, the first professional play I ever saw was *A uh, Twelfth Night*, and I had I did I went to a, a, a not a very good um, high school. It was always in danger of losing its accreditation, <laughs> and um, and there was no theater. I mean, when people didn't go to the theater and. I, I don't think I'd even been exposed to Shakespeare yet, and uh, and it it just blew my mind. It was just uh, like a bolt of lightning, and uh, I s- started acting. Then in high school, I made we st- formed a little company, the way you do, and I went to New York and I studied acting uh, as an undergraduate, and I spent a few years doing experimental theater and sort of hole in the wall, off off Broadway, classical theater. So those were the twin poles of. Of um, my love, but uh, I didn't know how to make a life like that. I, I was no—I was never going to make a living as an actor. I just—I was very bad at all the practical aspects of it, and I, I barely knew how to, you know, be a practical person in the world, and that's a bad place to be when you're an actor. Um, but I really wanted to. Uh, find a place for myself. So at a certain point, I thought, I've got to seize control of my creative process again. I will write a play because I'd been writing things to perform. I thought of myself as a performer. And uh, so I wrote a play, a group of actors that I met with every week to encourage each other. Well, they turned into my workshop and I brought pages in every week and they were very encouraging. And I wrote a play in a few weeks and then one of them said, well, why don't you send it to this theater downtown? They do new plays. So I didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't know how to be a playwright. So I just sent it to that one theater. And uh, an actress picked it up off somebody's desk and read it and said, oh, I want to play this. And that was Edie Falco <laughs> before she was famous. You know, She was an indie film actor, indie you know theater person. And so they produced it. So that's how it was sort of like I'd been wandering in the wilderness wanting to belong to the theater and not knowing how. And then I just tapped on this door and it flew open.
1: And what was the name of
0: the play? It's called A Fabulous Beast. Mm. Yeah. And that. Uh, and then I sent that to uh, – I said, all right, I'll go to graduate school. And I'll just concentrate on playwriting. I'll be a playwright. And I I got into Yale School of Drama with that. Fabulous. That's how I got there.
1: That's Awesome. Let's go to Michael. Michael, what talk about your beginnings in the in the theater?
0: Yeah,
2: it's it's good that it's good that Liz went first uh, um, for a couple of reasons. One, if you've heard me tell, talk about this before, you know that I often say that a lot of people um, who are working theater professionals come from a theater a theater kid kind of background, um, like 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 Liz, who who was was interested in this art form as a as a teenager and and pursued it and made made real strides. Um, I, I was not a theater kid growing up. I didn't do I didn't do theater as a kid. I wasn't in the church play. I didn't see much theater. My family was a my family growing up. They 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 certainly appreciated art. They thought the theater was cool. But we we probably went three or four times my entire my entire childhood. You know, I, I would just we would catch a, a touring production once in a while if we were lucky. Um, so I I didn't know anything about theater going going into my ad- adulthood. And I hadn't um, hadn't done much theater at all. Uh, my, my jam as a kid growing up was, was visual art. I loved to draw. I loved to paint. Um, and and I, I, I fantasized about a lot of different ways that I could make a career off of being an artist, but theater wasn't one of them. Uh, never crossed my mind, um, which is funny because in retrospect, so much about what I did like about drawing and painting and so much of, the, of what I drew and painted as a kid, I think does reflect like aspects of this career path in, in retrospect um, it wasn't until I got to I got to college um, and was dabbling in becoming a visual arts major that on a whim I took I think it was literally designed for theater 101 that was actually the code was 101. Um, at the time I was I was kind of struggling because I I was realizing that I didn't have what so many even other young art students and art majors had, which was this 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 drive to to, to express themselves in a certain way and felt no, people who felt motivated clearly to to you know to, to draw fruit beautifully or to explore you know this particular whatever whatever their whatever their 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 artistic journey as a, as a painter or sculptor was taking them on, I couldn't figure out what my journey was. And so when I discovered design for theater, uh, it, it it clicked. it clicked that this is this is a way to apply um, some of these skills that I have. And it meshed with a lot of interests that I had. I, I loved, I realized, um, as an artist reflecting off of other things, other people, other like st- reflecting off of stories. So much of what I used to draw and paint as a little kid, um, I would draw and paint scenes from movies that I liked. <laughs> or I would draw and paint, um, I, I would think about a, a series of, of, of scenes or sequences from a, a movie or a video game. And I and I would draw what I now recognize were storyboards. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time, I didn't know what that was, but but um, it, it, something about taking a story and sort of presenting it my own way was what I liked to do. Um, and then, of course, when I discovered theater, it was all those things that appealed to my vanity as well. I think all theater artists are <laughs> a little bit vain. We like to sort of present ourselves to the world and have people um, t- take in what we what we put out there. Um, yeah. So from from design one hundred and one in my my freshman or sophomore year in college, I was hooked. (laughs) And I'll briefly um, dive into mine, which is,
1: yeah, I grew up going to the Guthrie Theater, which is also a thrust stage. And I think, you know, um, a thrust stage kind of takes plays out of realism and gets to the essence, you know, acting, design, language, poetry um and so that so when i thought of like really good theater professional theater i thought of it on a thrust and and being um being somewhat a little bit not not literal not realistic and you know when i when i went to like a community theater it was in a proscenium and you know i kind of thought of it as you know realistic theater is not as as serious as the the stuff i saw at the Guthrie and of course it, in high school i was in musicals um and i was in the boyfriend i was in um the Robert bridegroom i was Kaniki in greece and and you know i thought theater was fun but i didn't think it was in what i was going to do with my life until i read no exit in french class or we and i realized oh theater could be about ideas and it could be it could be not you know we glow you know no exit is about a trip to hell but hell is this kind of um funny um Louis-Philippe um salon and um it's not um the hell we expect and I thought wow um so so theater can be um you know about um philosophy and and can really change your life and and that that play really changed my life and then um we did um America Hurrah by Jean-Claude Vanatelli which was you know he was part of the um, group theater, um, or not the group theater, the open theater um, in New York, um, which was kind of the experimental theater that kind of took Grotowski's um, theories and kind of put them into New York um, downtown um, aesthetics. And I, I also was in love with the surrealist painters like Dalí and um, and uh, Magritte. And I I, I, I asked my Drama teacher, I said, you know, hey, I, who wrote plays like this? And so I got introduced to Ionesco and Beckett, and later on, I got introduced to Mac Wellman and Len Jenkin. I, when when I finally went to Yale, I got to actually um, uh, meet firsthand. And um, and so when I when I founded Cutting Ball Theater, which was the theater I was at before um, before coming to the Alley. Um, our mission was to do plays that seek a poetic truth as opposed to a naturalistic truth. And I feel like um, a lot of what we've done, you know, if I'm just looking at um, both um, Dead Man's Cell Phone upstairs now and 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 Bournemouth Heath, there's something theatrical. there's something poetic about about the work. Um, it's not just kitchen sink um, realism leads me to the next question of how, how when when did we three meet <laughs> you know but, but I, um, Liz and I met each other first so Liz why don't we you talk about how we met
0: right well we met at, at Yale School of Drama which was so lucky I think you were there the year before mm-hmm. yeah and then in my second year Rob directed you directed I guess I'm talking right to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you directed my uh second year... Production. I'm putting production in air quotes because the playwrights didn't get much of uh, production at Yale at the time. But uh, uh, it was called um, Teacup for a Shallow Apocalypse, and uh, m- it was so much fun. I mean, my first year, I worked with a with a director who was also wonderful and talented, but he did not have people skills yet <laughs> at that point in his young life, and he would like make actors cry, and it was it was very. I was, you know, horrified, and it was it was a bit of a rough ride. And then uh, I, I meet up with Rob here, and, uh, and it's wonderful. I mean, it's creative, it's collaborative, you know, and it's not uh, painful. <laughs> uh, so that was absolutely wonderful.
1: So then I moved to San Francisco, found the Cutting Ball, and worked with a bunch of theaters in San Francisco. And one of the things I did is I said— there's this writer you have to um, hear about, and it's Liz Duffy Adams. And she was in the process of writing Dog Act. And I was on the reading committee for the Bay Area Players Festival. And I remember saying, Liz, what what are you working on? And, and so we, um, you know, everybody read Dog Act and loved it, which you can see right now at the Main Street Theater, which is great. So we've got two – there's a great article – um, in the paper that says, um, Houston theater goers cannot escape the work of Liz <laughs> Duffy Adams, which I love that, because that was also true in San Francisco a, few, a number of years ago, because we, um, you know, once people started experiencing her work, then um, a, a local theater, um, um, Crowded Fire, really wanted to do a play of hers. And I, I pitched them um, what was called the train play, and it's now the um, ruthless, Reckless, Brutal Charge of it. The Reckless, Ruthless. Oh, sorry. Re- reckless, <laughs> ruthless, <laughs> ruthless. Reckless, Ruthless. Actually, that was the charge. original
0: title. I, I added, or the train play just make people easier for anybody yes. to remember.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And and that's where we first started working. Well, now when I first started working with Michael, because Michael and I had done um, Roberto Zucco and um, uh, Love of Three Oranges, for mm-hmm. those of you who know the opera, we did the play. Um but then we did um, uh, the reckless, ruthless, brutal charge of it. It's okay. It was called uh,
2: the train play then.
1: So. It, well, it was called the train <laughs> play. And um, both
0: titles were on the postcard.
1: Yes. So. yes, both titles were on the postcard. You know, I want to get to Born with Heath, but we have one more show that I feel like we must talk about. I hope. I hope <laughs> it's still on my list of plays to do because we've only done workshops. But it's a workshop that where we really jammed, which is um, Wet or Isabel the Pirate queen enters the horse latitudes.
0: Nicely done, you got that one.
1: Yes, yes, I got that one. I'm, I've
0: got shorter titles now. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes.
1: but that—that's one I love about um, a group of women—women um, of women pirates on the high seas who take over a ship. And again, it's—it's it's, a lot of it's written in iambic pentameter, and it just really shows off um, both, um, you know, Liz's kind of whimsy. Uh, playfulness and her you know just r- really um, amazing poetry you know and, po- and poetic skills
2: Thanks. yeah i you know i i remember this very well this was a project that we worked on where we didn't we didn't produce as rob implied um he uh you know we we've yet to we've yet to produce it um in in any in any context to the, to the two of us at least um but we did a a really deep workshop process and and I spent a long time working on. Um sketches and 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 renderings um as as a sort of sort of exploration of what the show could look like someday. And, and I think it was about that time that I started to learn more about what I think my what my aesthetic was and, and what and what I think interests me as a theater artist and and a, and a visual artist working in the theater. And at the same time realizing also that I had I think that in a weird way, um your work, Liz. You, you and I have a lot in common, I think, in a, in in what our and what our aesthetics are, and of course, Rob ties into this as well. Um, w- what I began to realize about my style, and I'm doing air quotes, is is that one of the things that I that I really enjoy and feel is my comfort zone when I'm when I'm making theater and when I'm designing a set is I I I love sort of um, cre- you know creating my own creating my own visual language to work with, but it's really important to me most of the time that I feel like I'm grounding myself in something something familiar, preferably something um, that's a big juxtaposition from this modern art form of art, you know this 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 modern take take on 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 this ancient art form. what i'm what I'm getting at is that i I love working with components that feel like they're from a different time and a place, a recognizable time and a place. I love. I love a, a set that's has a, a modern look and feel about it, but the, the materials or the or the or the the textures or the references in it. Um you can pinpoint, oh that reminds me of that reminds me of 19th century Germany, even though it's even though the 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 world on stage is is something modern or fresh. Um and I feel like so much of what you do and, and what so many of your plays do, Liz, is you you're you have this very vibrant modern contemporary language of your own but you love reflecting off of moments in history historical figures fairy tales whatever they are yeah. that's your jam yeah <laughs> and and those juxtapositions are i think what sort of what propel you along and and i feel like i really i i tend to do something similar myself i like to i like to to be propelled along by a juxtaposition between between this modern form and and um components or building blocks that that are rooted somewhere else, a different time or place.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love how you just articulated that. It's exactly, I think, why I, uh, your work is so simpatico to me and so gorgeous to me. Is that is that sort of effortless balance or t- or tension or inter- interaction between the the now and uh, the, a sense of history or a sense of the alien and the and the natural? I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, it's re- it's really you know it's really fun to work with a director who who or, or or collaborators in general who who can speak a similar language to you and you sort of get past the how are we doing this moment and and you can really dive into the what are we doing and and, and why are we doing it um, and and I, I know that Rob and I have a lot of that chemistry
0: when we did that workshop of wet or Isabella the pirate queen enters the horse latitudes that you gave me one of your drawings, which mm. at the time was an actual draw. Well, maybe it was a Xerox of a drawing, but <laughs> it, it, might have been it, Xerox. it wasn't digital. Yeah. And, um, and I have it framed in my house because yeah. I love it so much. And, you know, I still dream someday. <laughs> yeah,
1: me too. When did you introduce us to, uh, to born with teeth and what it's about? And right, right, right. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there's, uh, it's something that I've, uh, as we've, Touched on, you know, long been interested in is how uh, how the, how character language um, creates and and reveals who the characters are, which is something that I learned from studying Shakespeare mm. so I've been studying shakespeare and and later Marlowe all my life um, and when I found out that Shakespeare and Marlowe collaborated on the Henry the cycle, which is something that's just in the last few years has been um discovered. uh, Just the idea of the two of them in a room together, especially given, you know, one of the things I enjoy about working with history is sort of the iconoclastic explosion of the received ideas we have Mm -hmm. about certain periods. you know, like the Restoration is very jolly. You know, <laughs> the Merry Monarch. You know, it's really not that simple. And and you know, Elizabethan England. You know, it's it's a Renaissance festival. Um, <laughs> but it was actually you know an authoritarian regime that was extraordinarily dangerous. It was a very dangerous time. A very uh, it had been a very uh, unsettled time for the past you know whatever eighty years, um, and to be in the theater then was not at all what it's like to be in the theater now they were uh, they were very close to very dark you know subcultures um and demimons. and uh and they were being watched for what they were saying and to write history plays when that was particularly Mm. like well what how because you do you do when you write a history play, you're writing about the present day obliquely, so they all knew that well, what are you trying to say when you're writing about mm. you know previous kings who possibly came to bad ends or mm. you know all of this stuff? Um, mm.
1: yeah love it <laughs> well and and Michael, tell us about because the set is very extraordinary, and tell us about how um you know, uh, how, how you went up and designed, because it kind of, I feel like it, it, it all kind of culminates, you know, you know, this collaboration and, you know, your pretty extraordinary set. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's it's worth pointing out that, I mean, this is a play that we at the Alley did a reading mm. of um, as 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 part of the Alley All New Festival, which we we had the chance to, we had a sit, we had, a, we had a, the three of us had a conversation. We had lunch. We talked about this play. We we'd read it. Of course, I'd read it. Um, and and um, and I I think I very quickly did a did a drawing um, um, that that I, t- I turned into a, a more formalized rendering that we sort of hung on to all, all, all this time, um, but uh, but but it was one of these plays where I read it and a lot of the objectives and challenges from from the perspective of a designer approaching that play were really clear and were, were again they felt right up my alley. They're the kinds of challenges that I like to receive. <laughs> um, uh, uh, again, that challenge of of how to how to visualize the world of a play that is that is so 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 lovingly rooted in this in this very particular time period and a time period that we have a sense of a real strong sense of, but also a play which is which is not a play of that moment. It's a play of you of your moment and of this moment. Um, it's funny. One of the first things I think we all agreed on at that lunch was, okay, this is a play about recognizable people in a recognizable time. But here's what it's not going to be. <laughs> I think we'd said this is not a play where there's a bunch of there's a bunch of barrels everywhere and there's not a play where people are wearing pumpkin pants necessarily. It's not a play that sort of leans into those those Renaissance fair k- kinds of kinds of details to, to, to create uh, this you know we're, we're, not, we're not trying to create this sort of rustic pastiche. Of, of Elizabethan tavern life which is easy to do and could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And 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 sometimes it's exactly what you want. Yeah. But if you do that here, I think we realize that we would probably swamp the the the, the actual energy of the play, which like so many of these other plays like Orr and others is you reflecting on things that are important to you in the in, in the moment. Yes, you Liz, you're interested of course in the story of Marlowe and Shakespeare. Um Anyway, to get back to the design, um, it's so fun then to take a play which is about something real, but it's definitely not real. So much so much theater, so much great theater works that way. It's not it's not a film where you're being asked to accept that you're witnessing something real and to imagine that you're seeing a that you're seeing actual footage of these two men. Instead it feels like an like some kind of wonderful artistic exercise. And that's what a lot of theater a lot of theater does, and sometimes I think the best theater is very aware of itself in that way. The very best theater is, you know, we we know that we are that this is sort of a machine, a wonderful experiment. Being in the theater, this place where this ritual of storytelling and conjuration of history can happen, and and so and so the space, the design, right? It wants to it wants to have some of that same kind of. That same sort of duality of, of 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 atmosphere about it. It wants to it wants to reference this time and this place, but it also needs and wants to feel like like this modern apparatus for for telling the story and for for you know this a, a modern, interesting setting for this story. And so and so that's why I've 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 aimed for um, and and knock on wood, that's what it's going to feel like. Um, but really, again, some of the best kinds of challenges are, are, are these, um, and it's been a real joy to work on it. And, and again, it, it reminds me so much of some of my favorite collaborations of ours um, in, in, in the past that have presented these similar challenges that are just so fun to, to try and rise to.
1: And just to give it a little bit of a description, right? It's a yeah. it's a, it's two walls really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wall of period windows, and then we call the slab this kind of black, almost you know, kind of like a Kubrick, um, you know, yeah. um, piece of slate that is that seems like from another world. Um, yeah, kind of blocking the thing.
2: Right. Yeah. I wasn't sure how much we wanted to give away, but yeah. Um, yeah, so so I think, you know, one thing that you said early on, Liz, about about this drawing of mine that you liked was you said it almost feels like a piece in a museum and you were referring to to this sort of the window wall, which looks like it's made of stone and old plaster and has these period windows. But it's very definitely not rooted in this theater. It's not like we are seeing this wall that may have existed um in in London in the in the proper century. It's broken across the bottom. It's kind of suspended as though it's hanging there. Um, It looks a little bit like it's been excavated and placed in the theater to represent something or to take us somewhere. There's something very presentational about it.
0: sort of a a deconstructed Absolutely,
2: yeah, yeah. our lighting designer on this project, her name is Carolina Ortiz Herrera. She's she's new to the alley, but she's extremely talented. We're really lucky to have her. She's got all these wonderful ideas to, for how to take this this piece and and light it in ways that are that are modern and sort of highlight that it's being presented in the theater, not that it lives there as though it grew there out of stone, but that it's being presented there. And then and and um, you know what? Part part of the the. The impetus for this window wall is this thing that Liz, you, you were talking about. Um, she's created this play, which is on, on one hand, this sort of lovely um, comedy about these two guys, but it's also a very interesting, a very interesting drama that feels that feels at times like a tense political thriller. And there's a lot of paranoia. Um, these men are working together in this room in private, um, but they're very concerned about what the people outside might might think about them, what might leak out, who knows what they're doing, who knows what they're not doing. The paranoia is really palpable. And so it just made so much sense to try and say that whatever this structure is that looms over them, it should be a reminder of the world outside. And so it's this big wall of windows. And 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 hopefully there's this sense that, that it's what's separating these guys, these windows, these glass windows are what's separating these guys from a world of people who who may be very concerned with what they're talking about or writing about in that room. And then as Rob mentioned, this slab wall, which is, yes, it's something kind of Kubrickian and monolithic and, and modern. And on one hand, I think it just ad- it adds an interesting sort of edge to, to the space and sort of keeps us out of that pumpkin pants Renfare world. On the other hand, um, it's also kind of this literal barrier. It almost looks like a black sensor bar um, across someone's eyes or or other parts um and it's it's this black barrier between these guys in the room and this and this relic of the past that's full of windows that could betray them um, yeah i'm really i'm really excited ab- about it you know one of the things that's funny about the the new house space is that on one hand it's a it's an intimate space and it and and it feels very intimate but some of the architecture of it is enormous and that wall, the wall that we're putting our scenic wall against is actually enormously long. And so this piece of scenery is is colossal. Um, and I'm just excited about the scale of it among other things.
1: And I feel as a director, I feel so lucky because I just feel like we, we've got all the ingredients for an amazing production, a great, great, an amazing play, great group of designers, great designs and so two wonderful actors it's dylan godwin resident acting company member who all many of you know uh, matt Amit, who um acted at the guthrie um for many years they're they're just absolutely terrific and what's amazing about the script is it's 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 a short play there's no intermission it's maybe 70 75 minutes and it is so packed with ideas and tension and humor. Um, it's it's a real roller coaster ride. And 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 I mean, it was that reading that we did that um, our our kind of regular LEL All new audience just got really excited hearing it for the first time because it's 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 so powerful, it's such a rush. Um, and Liz, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about the process of writing it. you know how, I mean how how do you keep up that that <sighs> that tension, that density, um the 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 many, many twists mm-hmm. it's it's a real joy to work on, and we we spend a week at the table dissecting it because there's so much in there
0: mm. well, you know, uh, uh, I, I always think that the process uh, of Making something or writing something is directly translates into the result, the product, you know. And uh, I, I had a, I've had a similar experience with other plays, but really with this one too. I had done all this research, I'd done all this thinking, I'd, I'd, you know, I, I had it in my head for a certain period of time, but when I sat down to write it. I had the starting point and I had certain – I had a lot of ideas. And then it was like (laughs) getting on the back of a horse that runs away with you. (laughs) And I think the way in which – like listening to the actors, you know, rehearse it and that's – I I get awfully breathless. It's true. It's like – and then this happens and this. Oh, my God. And now, you know, it's – it was my experience in writing it. Like, I made a joke in rehearsal at one point. They were like, This is this, this certain dynamic starts to happen and it seems to be sudden. And that was that, that was my experience writing it. I was writing it and the characters went there. And I was like, Whoa, this is happening now? This, I thought maybe this would happen at the end or, you know. Um, So there was a certain, Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of like surfing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never surfed. Uh, I think I should not say, of course, because you don't know. Maybe I'm a mad surfer, but no, it's not really me, but that the, the idea of surfing of being on a, on a, or like riding horse, being on something, you know, sort of powerful that, you you know, I set it in motion, but it feels like it is, Mm. it is, Mm. it has its own volition. It has its own trajectory. And I am guiding and I'm leaning into it. And I'm, you know, uh, later coming back and saying, okay, wait, wait, it needs another beat in here. But, you know, but, for the most part, the first draft happened mm. in that mad sort of rush. And I, I think that a play that is written, for me, a play that is written carefully and thoughtfully yes. doesn't necessarily have that effect. I think yes. you kind of have to let it run away with you. Because I, I, I also have said before, I am <laughs> far smarter by accident mm. <laughs> than I mm. am when I'm trying to be clever.
1: Yeah. So um, I sort of have nice. to let it happen. It it I it, it it is you know because when you talk about a play that's written very carefully, it's you know it takes me a while when directing a play to really you know you you read it a bunch of times at home right and and you kind of know it at that point but I really I only really know the play when I'm with actors and hearing it again and again and again and then it starts to become. Um, second nature and of course the easy plays to get are, are those carefully written plays because they're kind of predictable <laughs> you know you kind of know what's going to happen next you can mm-hmm. kind of see it coming a mile away and you know I, I I find myself going wait does this happen now does that happen now because it is it is so surprising and it is um, such a wild beast um, of its own which which is which is really fun and it's why seeing it is such a ride and and also you know very there's so much history and there's you because you you've got Shakespeare and Marlowe that's one thing one of the greatest rivalries in 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 literature um Marlowe who at the time of of the play time of his death was way more famous than Shakespeare um, and Shakespeare learned from Marlowe. And now we know he literally learned from Marlowe. They were in the same room together. Um, so there's the, that whole dynamic. And, of course, Shakespeare went on to become the more famous one. There's that. There's the whole spying. You know, and, and of course, it, as, you know, Liz said, you know, we think, we think of Elizabethan England. We think of Renaissance festivals and, you know, eating a big turkey leg and and dancing around and stuff. But, you know— the religion of England had changed many times, and people would get their head on spikes if they were, you know, they they'd be executed, they'd be imprisoned if they were on the wrong side of things. And there was great anxiety over who was going to be the next, um, you know, the the next leader, and what faction would, you know, kind of assert their power. So there's a lot of spying, and of course Marlowe was part of that um, spying. So there's there's that whole strain. What and what amazes me about and then there's just you know kind of the polit- the regular politics of 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 Elizabethan England but what amazes me is we even if you know nothing <laughs> about all that um Liz mm-hmm. you do such a great job of of inviting people into it and you know setting people up so you don't need you don't need you know you don't need it in order to enjoy the show which i think is kind of um amazing and and you you do it without "Quote unquote exposition." It all happens kind of naturally in the moment, which I think is so extraordinary. Certainly, what I <laughs> did was it.
0: trying to do.
1: <laughs> did it? Got to keep things in the moment. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed this talk. Um, I hope you come and um, and see the play. Um, of course, you know because we're in um, COVID times. Hopefully, getting through it. Um, one of the reasons we're doing so many of these podcasts is because usually we'd like to do a lot of talkbacks and we'd like to be with you and talk with you in person, and hopefully we'll get back to that soon. But um, but for now, I hope that this enriches your experience of of Born with Teeth because I think it's um, it's got a lot a lot going on and it will get you thinking for. Um, many, many days to come after seeing it. So thanks for being with us and enjoy the show. And thank you both for joining me. Thank Thank you, Rob.
0: Thank you for listening to Allie All Ears. Visit our website at www.allitheater.org for more.